Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast and happy Monday. I don't know why it's happy Monday. What did we deserve for it to be Monday? A lot going on. Uh, the former guy having a rally down in Alabama. Chuck Schumer going out for a dance while Afghanistan falls. Uh, the pandemic is continues to spread as the unvaccinated um, has now turned to what deworming medicine in the South. Uh, Meanwhile, Congress is back in session to deal with a massive infrastructure bill. The FDA finally gets around to approving, giving final approval to the Pfizer vaccine. I, I, we just make sense of all of this. So, uh, of course, because it's Monday, we have to have A.B. Stoddard back on the podcast. Uh, happy Monday, by the way. Thank you, Charlie. Happy, happy Monday. So let's let's start with the FDA, which finally got around um, the Vogon-like bureaucracy. Took how many months to decide that? Hey, yes, the vaccine that tens of hundreds of millions of people have taken is actually approved. Is this going to make a difference at this point? Will this convince any of the people who don't believe in vaccines to finally take the vaccines? What do you think? I think that the administration hopes to use it as a talking point um, and to take away one of the unvaccinated population's talking points, but I don't think it does anything to move the numbers. I'm so, so relieved, Charlie, to see that the vaccination numbers are back up and that people's dying Facebook videos um, in the ICU with ventilators on urging their unvaccinated friends to break to change their minds because they regret, you know, not doing so. I think that's, I think that's changing some minds and that's bringing people out to get vaccinated. I think that the unvaccinated expressing regrets to the unvaccinated is the most powerful mover of the needle. And I don't think FDA approval is going to do much. I, I, I tend to agree with that, but let me give you the, the the flip side of that, that the FDA approval will trigger more vaccine mandates. And the mandates do seem to make a difference for people who have you know, been waffling or wavering or doubting. If it comes down to, you know, your job um, or the vaccine or whether you're going to go to school, it does seem to make a difference. I'm also oh, I absolutely yeah. I, I agree with you. And the, and the studies or the focus groups of the polls show that the biggest driver of, of mind changing is your employer uh, insisting on it. So I, I think, I mean, that's great. I hope that, you know, that's going to move the numbers in terms of mandate, but in terms of actually changing someone mind who is not being mandated, um, who's been told, you know, on their Facebook feed that, you know, it's going to make fork sticks to your ear and everything. I I don't know that the approval in and of itself would. No, you're, you're, you're right about this. Here's a, here's another, like maybe a positive sign, a new USA Today Ipsos poll found uh, by a margin of 72% to 28%. Um, Americans said that mask mandates are a matter of health and safety, not an infringement on personal liberty. By 61% to 39%, they endorsed requiring vaccinations except for those with a medical or religious exemption. I, I still am, I'm not a theologian, but I kind of want to know what the religious exemption is. But so a public opinion does seem to be shifting a little bit on all of that. You had a piece, by the way, on Ron DeSantis uh, last week who continues to think that pushing as hard as possible against any sort of public health mandate is his ticket to the 2024 election. Uh, It it really is an extraordinary political moment for him, isn't it? It's so sick, Charlie. Um, He is aware 
of how bad the infection and death rates are getting in his in his state and how desperate the hospital capacity crisis is is becoming so he's doing these shiny metal object things to try to galvanize galvanize the base um, and stay out front on the culture wars while these rates worsen, which is to fight with the Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings Company about their mandate in court to try to um, stand up these mobile units for Regeneron treatment. So he's basically telling everyone, get sick. I'll just <sighs> save you once you do um, and maybe try to keep you out of the hospital with this um with this treatment that um, very few people have been able to have access to. Uh, and then, of course, he's fighting all these counties on the mass mandate. Uh, the numbers are moving against him. And I was told on background after my piece ran that his internal numbers are worse than his public numbers. Really? And so I'm fascinated by the polling that you just cited, and I'm heartened by it because, A, I'm an angry vaccinated American. Um, I'm worried for the sick. I'm worried um, that I might get sick, um, and not with COVID, that just that our healthcare system is being broken by the unvaccinated who believe that hospital beds are now for them when they get COVID and not for stroke victims or people, you know, spiking fevers after their chemotherapy and stage four cancer. So the rage is really building um, across a wide, broad section of Americans. And I believe in some cases that, you know, it definitely crosses party lines. And if you look at the crisis we're going to have in schools and, and, and just the rage that people feel that we are being held captive by this group of people who are going to build, you know, they're going to spread the virus. It's going to replicate and then mutate into the next variant that we're not protected against. I'm starting to think with what's happening to the numbers in Florida and the nationwide that you know, if the Democrats, for some miracle, and I do not think they have a chance of holding the House next year, end up doing so, I think it will be because of this issue. I think it will be because the Republicans doubling down on, um, uh, you know, against the, the the public good, the common good um, on this pandemic um, could really boomerang against them finally. It was one thing in the beginning, and then the Delta wave is a whole new thing. And I think a lot of Americans understand that Joe Biden has not lost control of this of the virus. It's it's really because of the people who refuse to get shots. Yeah, it is interesting. I think there was a story over the weekend that talked about the rage of the responsible and uh, had a number of conversations where people said, that's me because, you know, yeah. I have done all the right things. And now, you know, my life is being uh, is, is being affected and endangered by the the irresponsible, uh, the incredible recklessness. And by the way, I want to come back to this point you made about uh, the Democrats and Republicans and, you know, the Republicans who really do feel that the uh, wind is at their back right now. And there's some polls that would support that. But but they are they continue to embrace the crazy. And um, let me just play a little bit of a soundbite. This is from Alabama, the uh, the Trump Alabama rally over the weekend. By the way, we're going to get to a, a discussion of Afghanistan and, and Biden in just a minute. I just I just felt the need to back into it a little bit. Uh, during this speech, Mo Brooks, who was one of the most reckless Republicans, uh, somebody who was one of the folks who, who was uh, ginning up the crowd on January 6th, telling people, you know, to, to take names and kick ass. He's actually being sued for it. 
Uh, Mobrooks, who also then issued a statement expressing some sympathy for the domestic terrorist who threatened to blow up a bomb last week in the Capitol in front of the Library of Congress, was one of the featured speakers at the Trump rally. And I'm not sure how well you can hear this, but he, he's telling the crowd, uh, you know, to move on from 2020 and the crowd boos him and he has to back off from this. And I think this was kind of a, a it was a revealing moment. Let's play the, the Mobrook sound right. There are some people who are despondent about the voter fraud and election theft in 2020. Folks, put that behind you. Put that behind you. Yes. Look forward. Look forward. Look forward. Beat them in 2022. (laughs) Beat them in 2024. (laughs) The crowd's not having it. (laughs) All right. Well, look back at it, but go forward and take advantage of it. Uh, no. We've got to win in 2022. We've got to win in 2024. That's what we've got to do. Crowd's booing him. The crowd, they see this is part of the problem uh, that they can't let go. They just can't do it. They're stuck. And sometime later today, maybe uh, we're going to be hearing from these, you know, the crazy cyber ninjas on their, you know, fraudulent audit in Arizona, which will get people to continue to hang on to all that. I, and, and, and I have to I have to read you this uh, this statement that was put out by the Speaker of the State Assembly in Wisconsin. Okay, I always think of Wisconsin as traditionally being more rational than the rest of the country. And the Speaker of the State Assembly is Robin Voss, known him for many, many years. And he's one of the people who uh, I'm guessing in private would say, this is all crazy, this is nuts, we gotta move on from all of this. I'm gonna you know, throw some red meat to the, the, the crazies and maybe they'll leave me alone. And what he's discovering is they never leave you alone. You've just grown the crocodile in the bathtub. Over the weekend, he put out this statement. I have to read this because this is this this will make your cringes cringe. (laughs) Speaker Robin Voss released the following statement after spending the day with the 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Quote, it was an honor to be invited to travel by private plane with President Trump and top staff to attend his rally in Alabama. I provided him details about our robust efforts in Wisconsin to restore full integrity and trust in elections. <laughs> While our attempts to make common sense election reform to close loopholes and standardized procedures were vetoed by Governor Evers, we have doubled down on our top to bottom investigation by special counsel Justice Michael Gableman, by the way, as a guy has spoken at a Stop the Steal rally and actually showed up the My Pillow Guy cyber uh, event last <laughs> Symposium. week. Symposium. We, we will do whatever it takes to help Justice Gableman and uncover reports of systematic fraud in our forensic audit. I plan to keep President Trump updated on our investigation. So here's a guy who's <sighs> bragging that he that he got on a private plane to fly <laughs> to Alabama to kiss the orange guy's rear end. And you know, the problem is it's not going to work for him, but still it shows the way they can't let go of 2020 and it is metastasizing. Oh, well, it's such a combination of two repugnant components, right? You have the fact that Donald Trump can't let go. And so he's going to give Mo Brooks, the congressman, um, a lashing, you know, when they're in private, because you're not allowed to look forward. You have to look back. So he's offended that Mo Brooks has recognized that he has convinced the base not to vote in elections because they're all rigged, which is what happened on January 5 with the Senate runoffs in Georgia. And Mo Brooks is telling people, no, no, 
the way you fight back is to get out and vote, look forward. And that is, that is off the talking points from, from Donald Trump. So this, so, so you have that issue where Donald Trump can't let go of the big lie and you have to run on the big lie. You have to speak of nothing else, but the big lie, you never look forward. You only look back. So that's what this, that Robin's doing. Right. And then, and then this, you have to combine it with a butt sniffing sicko fancy because you, th- this is what Donald Trump requires. A, you stay on his topic, his theme, but then you have to just, the, the reverential tone, the, the worship that you have to use when speaking about him um, is, I mean, he, he, you know, he lines up all these press releases and compares people to each other. It has to be, you know, hot lava of gooey love. And it's just so disgusting to see these grown men do this and at least Stefanik occasionally, but you know, it, it really is unbelievable. The, the, the terms that they use and the, and that they're all sort of trying to live up to Mike Pence's level of brown nosing. Yeah. But, but and Mike Pence proved that you, you can't possibly brown nose enough. You can, right. You can't win. There. Right. Yeah. So the, the, the polls that are out, and I want to get to this, this question of how badly has Biden been hurt by um, both COVID and by the, the fiasco in Afghanistan. And of course there was this NBC poll out yesterday, Biden's approval down 15 points in four months, big drops among independents, white respondents, rural residents. Um, New York Times talked to 40 leading Democrats um, who uh, uh, were looking on an alarm. The harrowing Afghanistan images appalled even the president's staunchest supporters, many of whom, like a majority of the American public, support the decision to remove American troops. Some of them worry the execution of the withdrawal has undermined Mr. Biden's central campaign promise to restore a steady hand. Congressional Republicans are all giddy because they think this is going to lead uh, to a uh, a big, big shift uh, in the midterm elections. And yet, and yet, before we move on to that, going back to Saturday night, there's Donald Trump, who's not only doubling down on looking back, and, and and by the way, we have to mention, got booed when he suggested people take the vaccine. Another indication. <laughs> once you've unleashed the crazy, it's hard to put it back in the box. And then, of course, there was this moment, which I, it, it's it's going to get lost, but... When you think of the the most insane, reckless, irresponsible, dumbest members of Congress, at the top of your list has to be Marjorie Taylor Greene, but not in this Republican Party. This is what the former president of the United States had to say about Marjorie Taylor Greene on Saturday night. One of my favorite people. She's so smart. I hope she's around. I hope she's around. She is an incredible woman. She's a brilliant woman, doesn't get credit for it, but we all know about that stuff. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Marjorie. America's sweetheart. (laughs) (laughs) She's great. She is great. She's a warrior. She's a warrior. Everything I said about Georgia is true, Marjorie, right? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they they really love that. So you know, look, I I I think it's overwhelmingly likely that Democrats are going to lose control of the House. But if they don't, it will be because uh, they have embraced the crazy, and they're being required to embrace the crazy. Right now, what is concerning is that I speak to people who um, who who do polling about these democracy issues, and it doesn't move the needle. So it'll be interesting to watch Charlie in the next year 
um, between now and next summer with the work of the one six committee um, <clears throat> is to see where those numbers go in terms of whether the the a broad swath of the population continues to pay attention to these issues because I think a lot of them, like my friends away from politics, thought after Biden won, they could just tune all this out, go back to their life, and they catch the occasional political news like yeah. every 11 days from the Today Show. So so this is what we're dealing with. Um, I think the COVID denialism from the from the Republican Party hits closer to their life um, than the fact that the Republicans are going to steal, they're going to take the House back in 2022 and steal the next election in 2024. This is not on the radar screen of most people I know who are not paying attention to it as you and I are at a, and your listeners at a granular level. So this is a really big problem for the Democrats is that people are not engaged on this, on this, you know, the fact that the constitutional order is going to break down at the next election. So, so the, what's interesting about, um, I mean, what's terrifying about Marjorie Taylor Greene and Donald Trump and the big lie is that every time they belittle one six and, and, and render at this, you know, whitewash it into this patriotic picnic. And every time they evangelize on the big lie, they lead to the potential, you know, they, they're stoking violence. I mean, we're going to have future violence because of pe- what they're doing. Meanwhile, I don't know that the swing voters are are really connecting to this issue. So it's it's my big concern um, is is how the public ingests what the committee um, uh, turns over and uh, where we are a year from now on these issues because the Democrats are, before. Afghanistan had basically we're dealing with the the fact that the Republican not only do they have a slim margin, they have historical trends against them in the midterm election, the first term of a new presidency where they control all the levers of government, but then with redistricting right, they could lose their margin just on redistricting alone. So they're gonna lose the house. But even without the culture wars, um, the Republicans had a winning hand on policy and on substance, on inflation and spike in violent crime. And See, people, of- people yeah. might not, people, yeah, people might not want to hear this, but you are absolutely right that you know while the Democrats are focusing on uh, you know Democratic, I mean Republican voter initiatives, say in Texas and Georgia. These other issues are much bigger in the minds of, of voters. Afghanistan, the border, crime, inflation. These are big, very tangible issues. And they pose a real problem for the Democrats, I think. They really do, because the the, the strategy for the midterms is not, I mean, look, Jim Clyburn, who's the de facto vice president, and Joe Biden, they know, they know the only way to hang on in the midterms between Kevin McCarthy having a three-seat majority or a 35-seat majority is to keep the Biden Republican voter or the anti-Trump independent voter at home. They're not going to win them over with infrastructure and get them to vote for Democrats next fall. They know that. They need to do enough of a good job that these people are not energized to go to vote down ballot Hmm. um, and vote for Republicans in the off year. Maybe they voted down ballot for them in, in 2020 and voted for Biden. These are the people they have to keep from being too mad. They know they're not going to get a, a coalition of 
black, brown, and young low propensity voters in the Democratic Party on the progressive left to turn out next year, they're going to be furious no matter what. Joe Biden, who watched what happened in 10 and 14 to, to or Barack Obama in the off years, knows exactly how unmotivated these people are. And the progressive left, left is purist. They're going to be mad no matter what, even if they pass all this reconciliation um, and, and infrastructure and everything. So this is what they're dealing with. Keep these people from getting too upset. We have to be competent enough. We have to be bipartisan enough to keep them from being motivated. And that maybe yeah. the crazies, the most crazy Trumpers, also won't turn out because they think everything is rigged. Um, no, right now, uh, this, this, this feels more like 2009, uh, in, in, in terms of the motivation yeah. where you have people who are fired up. So, so how badly has Joe Biden been hurt? Um, I'm looking at the poll numbers and, and there's a lot of things, you know, a lot of danger signs here, uh, uh, about Afghanistan and et, et cetera. I, but I also, you know, part of me is thinking, you know, it could have been a lot worse. You know, Biden's approval is 49% in Gallup, which is his lowest to date, but statistically unchanged from 50% in July. So the question is, you know, how how badly has this hurt him? I, I said yesterday on one of the TV shows that he has three problems. He's got a credibility gap, he's got a competency gap, and he's got an empathy gap. He can fix some of those things. But I wonder whether or not the fact that um, this has really undermined the sense that the adults are back, that America is back, that he knows what he's doing, that some of that stuff's hard to put back together again. You know, I mean, once once you once you've been disillusioned with somebody, it's sometimes hard to put it back together again. On the other hand, our attention span is notoriously short. So, you know, six months from now, are you and I going to be talking going, hey, remember when we thought Afghanistan was going to be a big deal? So what do you think? Charlie, remember all, remember all the times that you and I sat there for many years at, at, at episode after episode um, that Donald Trump would take us to, you know, the deepest, darkest place, and then yeah. we would laugh that it would be forgotten in three weeks. Right. right. Um, I think that uh, I think that you are right that um, the hit is to to non dug in partisans. Independents were starting to leave. Biden in the polls before Afghanistan. And that was because things felt out of control again with COVID. Um, and they're worried about big spending and, you know, this type of thing. They're not partisans and they're not wedded to keeping Joe Biden in office. Um, partisans who don't, who fear the Republicans, even if they're horrified over Afghanistan, will stick by Joe Biden no matter what. Um, I think that one of the worst things he did, yes, it's the, to me, it's the credibility. I mean, I'm sorry, it's the, it's the fact that um, he was going to be competent and he was always empathetic that he was kind of, I, I thought he was, I thought he was sick, Charlie, when he didn't come out for a few days um, and was at Camp David. I thought, this is crazy. Of, of course, Joe Biden's going to yeah. come out and he does, he's going to not have to be right. I've covered him forever. I know in his youth, he had to be right all the time, but in his old age, he doesn't. He's going to come out. And he's going to he's going to speak with reverence about the sacrifice that our men and women have made. And he's going to be empathetic and he's going to be competent. And he wasn't. He, he, he doubling down and doubling down and becoming defiant. And his criticism of the Afghans was so unseemly. Um, and so it, it seemed like it felt like such a betrayal. So I think that the people who are not, you know, dug in partisans were really affected by the shame we all felt uh, and the sadness we all felt. 
uh, at the abandonment of our allies and just the total bungled management of the of the um, of the exit. So while the public remains um, supportive of his policies on withdrawing from Afghanistan, and I think those numbers will even get better in the next few weeks and months if they continue. And as of yesterday, I think there was an actual like measurable turn in the operations, right? They've, yeah. they've expanded it now with planes coming from all sorts of different places. So people don't have to be at the chokehold at the airport, which is so dangerous and is basically uh, ground zero of like a humanitarian crisis at this point. And they've, they've hinted that they're going to extend the date. I think that if Americans look back and it, it was, and it became more orderly towards the end, right. um, they will remember this differently with, as you mentioned, the short memories. But I do think he just came in to be the entrant, that he wasn't going to have chaos and he was always going to be kind. And to see him defiant and to see him um, uh, almost verging on a little bit of the cruel and to see it um, seem so crazy, right? How did they not know? How did they overestimate both the strength of the Taliban and the weakness of the Afghan forces at the same time, right? That doesn't seem credible. So I think it will sting for a while and I'm not I'm not sure he gets it all back. Um, but Donald Trump never got up, never got past 49%. Mm-hmm. Biden comes in to the midterm elections still with a stronger position than most presidents do. And um, and and that's interesting to me. It, yes, it's a steep drop, but he's still at a high place. Yeah, and I, I agree with all of those criticisms. And, and I think that the fact that it, that it went to those two things, you know, the fact that he was the he was supposed to be more compassionate and more empathetic, and he didn't sound that way, at least initially. And of course, the competence issue. The flip side, of course, is the bad faith uh, criticism that we're getting from some of the Trump folks, which, you know, we just need to mention here. Oh, we have um, to. Oh, I mean, I mean, so, you know, uh, Mike Pompeo, uh, you know, claiming that he and Trump had kept Afghanistan stable. They never trusted the Taliban. I mean, they, the reality is, is that Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo surrendered in the most abject way to the Taliban, uh, undermined the government in the most dramatic possible way. You know, uh, not only surrendered, but but forced the government to release 5,000 Afghan of, of fighters. Uh, so, you know, the, 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 the flip-flop there... Um, and also, you know, the complaints about not getting more, you know, Afghan translators out when, in fact, Stephen Miller and uh, the other uh, nativist Trumpists did everything possible to make it difficult to give out those uh, those those visas. And then, of course, you have and, and by the way, I would urge people to read Will Salatin's piece in Slate on Mike Pompeo lying about this. And then and then you have Nikki Haley yesterday going on uh, Fox saying that, that Biden surrendered to the Taliban and forfeited all leverage by setting uh, an August 31st deadline to withdraw troops. But then she also defends the 2020 Trump Pompeo surrender with the Taliban, which removed nearly all the troops and set a May 1st, 21 deadline to withdraw the rest. I mean, her lack of good faith, her intellectual dishonesty is kind of breathtaking. But again, you know, I guess in our politics day, we just assume that nobody has any memory and that there's no standard of consistency that you're going to be held to. That was one of the most frustrating things about the Trump years. I mean, the the ones where he actually held office, even though we're still in the Trump years, is the idea that they just treat their voters as such stupid, uninformed people who will never check the record and care if they do. And, and, and yes, Nikki Haley has gone all in and thrown her soul out the car window, um, in pursuit of her future political, uh, career. 
which is going to be so different than her past one. I, I too highly recommend Will's piece on Pompeo. The part, Charlie, that is so grating um, is the fact that, I mean, you know, that Pence and Pompeo talk about the stability and everything. I mean, they basically gave the Taliban everything they wanted and they let them release all these prisoners. And 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 he and Mike Pompeo promised us that that the Taliban was going to destroy Al Qaeda. Yeah. They they are integrated, not only providing safe haven for Al Qaeda, they're integrated and supportive of Al of Al Qaeda. And that's I mean, that's a huge part of our current problem. Which also Joe Biden's trying to downplay, but the the Trump the Trump officials pretending that they didn't completely surrender themselves. They weren't. They they locked the Afghan government out of the negotiations, and they basically they kneecapped them from that moment forward, so that the the Afghan government was never going to be able to stand right. up when exactly. we left. Well, and also you have this, uh, and this is an opportunity, I think, for 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 Joe Biden um, as as we get this done. And by the way, you're right about how the mood will of the voters will depend on how this ends. So it starts as a fiasco and a disaster and a debacle. But if it ends with something like a Dunkirk-like rescue of tens of thousands of of, of Afghans and Americans, um, it might you know we might look back on it as one of our finest hours. Whether he gets credit for that, I don't know. But here's the other opportunity: these polls, which have been generally pretty dark for the White House, also show that there's this overwhelming and it's bipartisan consensus that we should welcome in the Afghan translators, many of these Afghan refugees, eighty-one percent of people in the CBS poll said that we ought to um, relocate the the Afghan uh, translators. So this is kind of a huge contradiction. Um, you have, you know, part of this party's ripping Biden for, you know, not rescuing more Afghans, but another part of the party uh, don't want to let more Afghans into the United States. And this anti-refugee uh, playbook uh, you can see spreading throughout the Republican Party. Could, uh, they just want to play a little bit of Ben Sass. Um, who I thought was outstanding yesterday. And I've been critical of Ben for not standing up all the time. But he was on uh, Fox News and he was asked about Republicans who oppose refugees. And this is what he said. I, I want to drill down on this question of Afghan refugees because there's quite a split inside your party about bringing our Afghan allies, the people who stood up for us for those last 20 years, bringing them into this country. GOP Congressman Tom Tiffany says the Biden administration's plan to bring plane loads into the U.S. now and ask questions later is reckless and irresponsible. Ohio Republican Senate candidate J.D. Vance, author of Hillbilly Elegy, says he'd like to hear zero about yeah. Afghan refugees until we get every single American out first. Senator, there's a real difference of opinion inside your party. First of all, a great nation is a nation that keeps its word. The American people need to understand who we're talking about here. We're talking about men and women who risked their lives to protect Americans. They fought hand in hand with our troops and we made promises to them. There are 32 million Afghans. We're talking about 60 to 80,000 people. So the first thing to say is the American people need to understand who we're talking about. We're talking about heroes who fought with us to take the fight to Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. Number two, the administration has been 
been way too slow to get people out of harm's way. They can get them to Kuwait. They can get them to Qatar. Uh, they can get them to Bahrain. They can get them to Ramstein in Germany and sort th through the larger processing and bureaucratic issues there. But number three, when you fought on behalf of Americans to protect our people, you're welcome in my neighborhood. That was good stuff. That was good stuff, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, look, I knew we'd find something to be happy about, Charlie, on Monday morning. And right. that polling I worked, is- I worked hard. That polling is very heartening. And Ben Sass, of course, is right. Um, and of course, there's a divide in the Republican Party on refugees, and too bad for that. Uh, too bad for them. Um, Mitch McConnell is supportive. James Inhofe is supportive. I mean, I, I think that- um, you know, that the, the, the naysayers are going to get left behind here. Uh, and if they want to raise money off of it, um, that's fine. But uh, this will be a big theme, though. I mean, this is like yeah. Tom, Tom Tiffany is a congressman from Wisconsin, and they're bringing many of these refugees to Wisconsin. This is going to be a big issue here. And I do think that at some point that if Joe Biden and the Democrats say, look, um, you know, embrace that message that yeah. you just heard from Ben Sass, this is what a country does. And, and, and by the way, Biden did say this on Sunday. I think that this is one where he gets to recapture the moral high ground. I agree. I really do. And I, I just think that they have to do it effectively. He's He's been in reaction mode and he's been too defensive. And if they can reset with a successful um, evacuations and then hone in on that process of bringing them here and resettling them and, and, and as you said, you know, making creating a narrative about what we're going to do next as, as a country to repay them. Uh, I think he can turn things around and, um, and that's, and again, the support for the withdrawal is already there. So it's these components, right? right. Saving the evacuation from, from being such a mess and then caring for people and, and so that it doesn't look like we abandon them. Yeah, exactly. So um, switching gears back to uh, Washington, to domestic politics, the next 48 hours is going to be really interesting um, in, uh, in congressional politics. And I want to talk about that, but right after this. Hey, Charlie Sykes here. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you sign up for Bulwark Plus, you will have access to our morning newsletters, to JVL's Triad, uh, as well as our whole suite of podcasts. This one will remain free, but if you want to listen to the secret podcast or uh, participate in our live streams uh, or others like the Next Level podcast, uh, please consider joining Bulwark Plus. Okay, we are back with A.B. Stoddard. Uh, A.B., um, what is Nancy Pelosi going to do with the infrastructure bill? Because we have nine moderate members of the House saying they're not going to go along with the bigger bill. Well, you describe it. I mean, it's it, the, the problem is that that Nancy Pelosi right now does not have the votes to pass this legislation. What's the state of play? So it, this is amazing, Charlie. I mean, this is this is what was always going to happen with their slim margins and their quite divided party. Uh, and it's they've managed to stave it off and, uh, until this moment. They got a bipartisan infrastructure bill through the Senate. Very impressive, uh, very uh, very uplifting process where a lot of Republicans worked with Democrats uh, and Joe Biden's White House to come together and 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 pass this um, tremendously popular bill. 
they convinced their holdouts over there in the Democratic Party to support the reconciliation, which is the social welfare programs, expanding Medicare to include dental and hearing and vision, you know, all of the elder care and the free community college two years and all this stuff. They convinced um, uh, Cinema and Mansion to vote for for that reconciliation um, budget procedure um, and and it doesn't mean they'll vote on the final bill, but that process votes coming over to the House now where you have a, an actual infrastructure bill that the Senate passed that a bunch of House Republicans support along with a bunch of House Democrats. But then you have this process, so this procedure bill that's going to unleash a process where you're going to look at filling up 35 trillion dollars with all these programs in a not finalized bill that progressives are demanding be supported simultaneously while centrists are saying, hey, we've got a bill the president could sign tomorrow. Let's take the win. The voters are asking for this. If we put it on the floor, we'll get a bunch of House Republicans. If we junk it up and wait, we'll lose the House Republicans. It won't be bipartisan. And so the bill, the, the the rule tonight that has to pass will not receive Republican support because it's combining the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, the reconciliation, um, quote, package of social welfare programs with this bipartisan bill. It's a rule to move to the, to those. It's not going to get any Republican support. So you have this standoff with, a, it's not just the squad. The problem is the nine moderates who say they will, they will take away the prospects for this, because remember, it's a four-seat margin. Yeah. You have nine moderates, but you have the hundred strong progressive caucus insisting that this all be paired and you that they hold the infrastructure bill. The, the centrists are saying anything that waits in Congress dies, which is true. Um, this, this Bernie Sanders-driven reconciliation thing could go on for months. Bernie Sanders, by the way, has never legislated at this level. Um, it's just unbelievable to imagine he is literally shepherding the entire thing, House and Senate. And so Nancy Pelosi, um, no one is writing her off. We don't know what she'll pull out of the hat, but she always has a spare supply of rabbits. So we're waiting to see what's going to go on. And we know that Joe Biden is going to be on the phone who has backed Pelosi's plan, um, begging, begging for help. But I confirmed this morning that the moderates, all nine of them are still on board. They have not lost one of them. They had a Washington Post op-ed last night saying, take the win. And it is a real standoff. This really is a game of political chicken right now. Who is going to blink? But the stakes are so huge right now for the Biden administration because the the uh, the NBC poll had an interesting little detail that uh, vast majority, not vast majority, I think it was like 58 percent of the public doesn't think the Democrats and Biden are getting things done. They're not getting credit for some of the legislation they pass. And if this crashes and burns at this particular moment of peril, um, it would be pretty bad for the Democrats. So, I mean, I, 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 I'm a little puzzled by, you know, how far people are going to push this because this whole you have it in hand. Take the win. You can have this massive, successful piece of legislation passed, signed by the president. And then you move on to other things. This makes sense. I also understand how the progressives think that they can hold this hostage. But the risk is that if this all falls apart, a bad week for Joe Biden and the Democrats becomes a really, really bad week. Oh, Charlie, this is existential. I mean, Mm -hmm. centrist Democrats were seeing polling a month ago and telling me that the public doesn't feel the $2 trillion COVID relief 
package. They don't like respond in polling that it's changed their life. And they don't, as you said, think the Democrats have done much. The problem, Biden's instincts were right. He comes in, he makes COVID a priority, everything else in secondary. He gets it under control. He performs on vaccine distribution. The public responds. Everyone's happy. We all feel a buoyant in May and June. We're coming back to normal, a new normal, but a normal. And we're vaccinated and all's well. Everything comes crashing down mid to late summer with the Delta variant. People feel um, things are chaotic again and people are disheartened and now Afghanistan. If the Democrats cannot pull this off, forget it. I, I, maybe it's a fifty-seat win for for Kevin McCarthy next year. I don't. I don't know. But this is existential, and um, and it's. It, it, you are right. I mean, I think if I were advising them, what I would do is I would try to secure police reform quietly with Senator Scott, who's been working with Senator Booker and um, Congresswoman Bass, who, by the way, both those Democrats have been silent this entire time, meaning Mm -hmm. that they're negotiating in good faith. They have never bashed the Republicans. The black swan event for Republicans in this town is if Joe Biden managed to pass, if he dumped the progressive left and did and, and did Senator Scott's compromise on qualified immunity, didn't eliminate it, but handed it off to police departments instead of officers themselves. And he had police reform bipartisan and transportation projects infrastructure bill bipartisan and put that reconciliation bullshit off for another time. Like we're working on it. You know, we're going to do the next reconciliation budget resolution for 2022 later or whatever. That would be the best thing they could do to keep those voters from getting mad and voting next year and holding on. No, I agree. It's interesting. I was reading before we started this uh, reading, um, is it Re Texera? Is that how you pronounce the name? I'm always yes. nervous about it. Uh, the, the, liberal, the, 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 the liberal uh, patriot, he's, he's a democratic strategist and he has a very interesting sort of warning. The real pressure is now on Biden's domestic plans. And, and he writes, among other things, for proponents of active government liberals, the cost of getting these domestic spending plans wrong in terms of structure and implementation will be even greater in the miscalculations on foreign policy. The risk of passing a huge bill that no one really understands or has thought through in terms of execution is serious and could fatally wound the effort to make smart economic investments and convince voters that their plans are working to help Americans. So he's making the the, the you're, you're talking about the existential threat of, of doing nothing. He's also arguing that if you pass something that is really bloated that nobody understands that might lead to inflation, well, he didn't mention inflation, I'm mentioning inflation, um, that could also also be bad. So oh, right absolutely. now you 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 have you have the Democrats who have to really thread a very difficult needle on domestic policy while the foreign stuff is still hanging fire. That is the problem for the centrists who hold the majority together is that they knew that rushing this reconciliation was so dangerous. One of the I mean if you look at um if you look at the transportation and then you add in the the you know, the yet to be determined final product of the social welfare programs. I mean, just think of the electric vehicle charging stations like that in and of itself is a massive new infrastructure program. Like this is like completely, you know, brand new. That will not Um, benefit the vast majority of voters. Of course. I just want to Um, mention. So, but in terms of just technically the detail, right, that the, the, the risk you're taking in, in creating something new and spending all this money 
And then you think about what they're trying to do with climate, with entitlements, everything, uh, the tax code. It, 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 to do it really quickly is also a huge danger. And those House moderates who were surprised how many of them lost last year are really concerned that they're going to be forced, if Pelosi holds everybody into holding hands, into signing on to something that then gets rejected by Manchin and Cinema and the Senate, and they'll be on the record supporting that. So, yes, I mean, politically, they're really damned if they don't, but but they're really risking it if they do. <laughs> so on that bright and cheery note, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. A.B. Stoddard, you. you can find her work over Real Clear Politics. And thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll do this all over again.